You're listening to The Way Home with Daniel Darling, a proud member of the Venom Audio Network. And welcome to the Way Home Podcast. This is Dan Darling. I'm so glad you're joining me today. I am honored and delighted by such a good feedback that I've heard over the last uh, few weeks and months over some of the conversations we had had here on the Way Home. Uh, I want to extend an invitation to you if you have an opportunity to go to iTunes or Stitcher or uh, Google Play or wherever you listen uh, to go and write a review and uh, let others know about The Way Home. If you do this and then go to my website, danieldarling.com, hit the contact page and let me know that you have done this. Send me a copy of your review. I will uh, send you a signed edition of my latest book, Away With Words, published by uh, B&H Publishers, just as a way of thanking you for listening to the podcast. Today we have a great guest lined up, the former governor of the state of Tennessee, uh, Governor Bill Haslam. He was the 49th governor of the state in which I live. Before that, he uh, was mayor of Knoxville. Uh, He's also a very strong Christian. And uh, I think when he was governor, demonstrated what it looks like to be an unapologetic uh, conservative, but also lead in a way that is compassionate, lead in a way that um, shows wisdom and uh, maturity in a time when there's so much division and so much uh, strife Uh, back and forth. Uh, He has a new book out called A Faithful Presence, which really uh, outlines his vision for leadership and is really helpful, not just for folks who lead in the public square like he does, but also if you lead in business or uh, pastor a church or lead a Christian organization. These are hard times to lead, and he has some really, really good wisdom. Uh, We talk in here about a few things. He shares with me that there was a time in his life where he thought maybe he was supposed to go into ministry and go to seminary and the Lord directed him uh, to public service and to business. Uh, He talks about how his Christian faith uh, informs the way he leads and really what advice he has for Christians really wanting to live out their faith in the public square in a way that is redemptive. So I think you're going to enjoy this conversation with the 49th governor of the state of Tennessee, Bill Haslam. Well, I'm pleased to have on the po- podcast the former governor of the state of Tennessee, Governor Bill Haslam. Thank you for joining me today on the Way Home Podcast. Glad to be here with you. Well, thanks for having me. And a key word there is former, as they, they say in Australia, uh, rooster then a feather duster now. Yeah. Um, I'd, I'd love to talk about uh, your your new book uh, that is out uh, called Faithful Presence, which I really think is really important and just kind of articulates your uh, your view of public service, uh, particularly as a, as a follower of Christ. But before we do that, I, I would love if, if people aren't familiar, just kind of with your story about how you, um, how you came to see public service as a calling on your life. Um, I know you, you come from a, a business family, uh, background and your in your family. So how did you come to see public service as a calling? What, what inspired you into that? Yeah. So that's uh, a really good question. I was kind of minding my own business, uh, been in business for about 20 years, but maybe the backstory of that is I actually thought I was going to be a pastor. So um, started following uh, Jesus when I was in high school 
and uh, all through college thought I'm gonna I'm gonna be a pastor and uh, but my plan was to uh, you know get out work for a couple of years and then uh, and then go be pastor in the couple of years I worked I kind of came to the conclusion that I actually was not called to be a pastor that wasn't what was in my uh, was in my future so went to business for about 20 years kind of happily minding my own business uh, raising my family and some folks came to me and said hey why don't you think about running for mayor of Knoxville I'm from Knoxville Tennessee and I literally laughed and said you have the wrong guy mm-hmm. uh, and they said well think, think about it and pray about it and it's kind of hard to say no to that um, so went back and asked my wife Christy who I thought would say no way and she said well I think you should think and pray about that and then went to a group of five guys who I'd been meeting with every Friday morning for 20 plus years, uh, and they all said, "Hey, that there might be something there. We think you should, we think you should be serious about uh, thinking about that and praying about it." So did, and uh, in the process, kind of stumbled across uh, the passage from Jeremiah 29, where uh, the Israeli, the, the Israelites are being held captive in Babylon. And, um, you know, horrible place, Nebuchadnezzar, their slaves, a bad environment. Um, and Jeremiah writes to them, and Jeremiah writes um, to them. And I always say, I hope if I'm ever held captive, people will write and say, we're coming to get you. But he wrote and said, <laughs> hey, uh, make yourself, you know, make yourselves at home there. You're going to be there a while. Uh, and he says, plant gardens, build houses, marry your children, have them have children. And then... Uh, in Jeremiah 29, the key verse to me was, you know, seek the seek the peace of the place uh, where you are called, for in its welfare you'll find your welfare. And I kind of feel like that was the, a message that that's what we're supposed to be doing, is seeking the welfare of the places where we're called. And loved my city and served in a lot of different ways and thought this might be the most effective way to serve. Ran for mayor, loved it. Um, ran again, reelected. And then in 2000. 10, there was an open governor's seat in Tennessee and decided to run what was a fairly long, almost two-year campaign, um, but ran, uh, was elected, and again, loved it, just loved serving in that in the governor's role like I had the mayor's role. And again, every now and then you feel like, well, okay, this is what calling feels like. This this is what feels mm-hmm. like. And, and really, to, to go into public service, you do have to have a sense it as a calling, right? Because uh, quickly you get in there and realize you know, how hard it is, right? When you're, when you are the governor of a state, you have all kinds of unforeseen, unpredictable things that are going to happen. You you probably have an agenda, but then things come up that you didn't, you didn't plan. And so you really have to sort of see it as a calling, right? Instead of just a position with perks and, you know, all that, that t- type of thing. No, you, you nailed it. But the, that, uh, that sense of being, of needing that sense of calling actually happens before that when you're in a campaign, because, Mm-hmm. Maybe there's some humans out there that, that like being in the campaign, but I'm not one of them, and I don't know many people who do. It's really hard. You feel very vulnerable. You're running. You have people, opponents taking shots at you. And mm-hmm. uh, you have a whole lot of people in, you know, with you who are stuck out their own necks to support you and mm-hmm. put up yard signs or give your campaign money. And so we're, we're, we're supposed to be anxious for nothing, but it's pretty hard not to be anxious in the middle of a campaign given the nature of it. So um, my... Christy started saying during the campaign, said, all right, we need to remember we're, this is what we're called to do is to, to run for office. And said, then we'll, we'll see. The election will tell us if you're actually called to serve in office. <laughs> That's a great way to, to put it. You know, you're called to run, but uh, do you actually uh, have an opportunity to, to win? Um, talk about leadership and the style of leadership. Uh, one of the things I, I always admired watching you lead was um, 
that uh, you obviously are uh, conservative and have conservative governing philosophy, but really the way your your disposition in leading both you know Knoxville but also leading the state of Tennessee, a kind of I, I guess I would describe it as kind of a servant-hearted leadership. And you said it's interesting. You said that early on you thought you were called to be a pastor. Well, you're not a pastor, but in some ways, when you are sitting in that chair as a governor of a state, there are times when you have to be pastoral. And so maybe just talk about your specific approach to leadership uh, and how it served you. Yeah. Well, and actually, I, you know, I, I say that in the book that just what you just said, um, I kind of ran for mayor and governor thinking, well, I'm going to be like the CEO of the city or the CEO of the state. But it, it actually, at the end, feels much more like being senior pastor, not not in the sense of you're giving a sermon in the town square, but in the sense of all the different ways you're called to serve, you know, the, the folks that, that you're responsible for leading. So it, it does feel like that. I think that, you know, my approach is this, and it's one of the reasons I, I wrote the book is to encourage, listen, everybody's not going to run for office. I get that. Okay. That's everybody's not called to do that, but I think we are all called to care about what happens in the public square. Mm. Uh, you know, it's again back to Jeremiah 29. One of the ways to seek the welfare of the place you, you're called or seek the peace of the place you're called is happens through who governs, who we elect, and how they govern. And yeah. um, I, be, you know, I became convinced that one of the, the calls was not just to run, but then we'll see you know, if, if we're elected to serve and then to serve in a faithful way, in a way that reflected what how God calls us to act. And I think it begins with this idea of. The story's not about us. And it's hard in political office to to grasp that because, you know, you run saying, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm the man. I can solve the problems. Uh, but this deep, it needs to, you need to have this deep conviction. The story's not about me. God's weaving this big tapestry together. He's privileged to let, he's, I'm privileged to, that he's let me play a small part in that. And so I should enter in with humility and with the, the conviction and knowledge that I don't have all the answers. And some of that becomes painfully evident when you see how hard the problems are. And some of that, though, is just an attitude we need to adopt as believers in the public square is just like we know we're fallen and broken people, we should understand we do not have all the answers. Mm. I really like that humility. And, and it, it seems like uh, it's in short supply these days just with, with kind of uh, in leadership and media and everything. You know, we're a very divided country, it seems like, and, and even more divided than uh, we've been in some time. How do you lead in a divisive age like this? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question because, no, I mean, that's part of the point of the book. Uh, what I write is we're, we're definitely divided. I mean, we're, we're pretty evenly divided. Is, is the, the th- I mean, the last nine presidential elections have been single digits. The Senate is 50-50. The House is four-seat difference. And uh, we're not just divided, but we're mad about it. And I think one of the one of the ways that you start, started leading a situation like that is realize there are almost as many people on the other side as who think differently than you do as think the way you do. So you start with that understanding and you start again with the sense of, I don't have all the answers here. But then I think the, the next key thing is this. Our, our goal, particularly if we want to be faithful in the public square, is not to win the argument. And I think too many believers enter the public square with that. Like, I, I have to win this argument. But our goal is really to get to the best answer, not just to our answer. And so we have to enter with that humility that says, I I need to hear and understand why you feel the way you do. Uh, And then my job as a leader, like I said, is to get us to to the very best answer 
uh, for these real problems. And I think the last thing is a real commitment to solve problems. In, in today's world, it is really easy to get a lot of attention. It is easy to go and be a social media hero and to go you know, make loud, bold points, but to never, ever accomplish anything. Mm. And again, as believers, that shouldn't be who we are. We should, we should be people who are here to make a difference, not make a point. That's what I think serving looks like, and that's where I think we've gotten lost. And one of the things you, you talk about really, I think, is the importance of institutions. There's a lot of conversation today about the fact that there's incentives right now to kind of reward, as you said, sort of um, building a platform, being extreme at the expense of our institutions. Uh, and so one of the things I really appreciate about your book and just your approach is you not just thinking, okay, how do I get to that next position, but what kind of leader am I going to be when I'm in that position? So talk about your thought process, you know, even even before you became governor, as you as you kind of see, okay, this is happening. What kind of governor am I going to be and what kind of leader? And, and I, I do think this has implications, not just for politics, but for people leading at all different levels, right? Yeah, I, 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 I really do think your last statement is right on target. The, the way we lead and the principles we lead by shouldn't be any different in public office than they are in business or medicine or, mm. or academics or anything else or, or your your family. Um, and so, you know, it, it's it's interesting what you what you said because once you're elected to anything, people start saying, "Well, you should run for the next thing." You know, it's a short step from being elected city council to people thinking you should run for president. I mean, if you're sitting. <laughs> People say you should be mayor. If you're mayor, you should be governor. If you're governor, you know, it's uh, it's it's just kind of amazing how people think that way. And to be honest with you, how many politicians I think really waste this great opportunity because they're thinking about the next opportunity. And so they do two things. One, they instead of focusing on where they're called to serve now, they're thinking about the next job. And then number two, they don't make the best decisions because they're afraid, well, that, that's the right thing to do. But if I do that, I could lose some votes. And so I think part of the, the, the message in leadership, whether it's political or anywhere else, is you're called to the place you are right now, where your feet are planted right now. So serve in the best way you can in that role instead of angling for the next role. And, you know, my own observation would be, you know, God rewards our faithfulness. Sometimes it's to a bigger job. Sometimes it's not. But it's always to this sense of, of true joy that comes from like, I'm, I'm doing my best to be faithful right where God has called me. I'm, I'm looking at some of the chapters in your book. And uh, one of them is, you know, is it hard to be a Christian in politics? And increasingly with things so divided, people are asking, you know, why would I want to put myself through that? Why would I want to run for Congress or run for governor or even as a leader in the in a nonprofit space or denominational leadership? Increasingly, even those positions are subjected to incredible scrutiny and you're put through a lot of, uh, you're kind of put through the ringer. And yet we say that, you know, we need some good people to step up. And so kind of what is your answer to that question? Uh, is it hard to be a Christian in politics? To really live out your Christian faith. Yeah, you know, so my answer is yes, it is hard, but it's also hard to be a Christian in media. It's hard to be a Christian in business. It's hard to be a, a Christian raising a family. Uh, you know, because of those things that, because of the ways that 
that Christ asks us to act. So he asks us to be anxious for nothing, okay? Paul, Paul says, you'll be anxious for nothing, uh, but in everything by prayer, uh, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. It's really hard not to be anxious in politics because it's so visible and vulnerable. But oh, by the way, that's kind of hard too when maybe your business is struggling or when one of your children is not going the way you want it to or when your, um, you know, your, your media show isn't getting as many um, likes as you, would, as you would prefer it to. Um, so not being anxious is hard. Being humble in public office is really hard because you get so much attention as governor. You get treated so special. It's hard to do that. But that's true in leadership in a lot of ways is to, is to remember that, you know, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Um, I, can, I think you see my point. I could keep going. But is it hard to walk faithfully in public office? You bet. But is it hard to do that everywhere else? You bet. So here's what I'd say to folks. A lot of people say, just for what you said, like, man, it just all feels so messy now. I get that it's important, but it feels so messy. I don't want to do that. But, um, you know, Martin Luther had a great quote, and I'm going to botch it. I don't have it. I should have it memorized by now, but I don't. But he basically said, he said, send your very best into politics uh, rather than into preaching. He said, in preaching, the Holy Spirit does all the work. But in yeah. You have to live with the ambiguous, it's not black, I can't remember the words, but he says, because it's such an ambiguous world, you need people with the discernment to make wise and hard decisions. And I think that's right. I think that's right. I think there's something to that. Um, and we want to send our people who are most strive, most, you know, leaning into listening to God and trying to be obedient because it is so hard to make wise decisions in, a, in, in what feels like a messy world. Hello, friends. I just want to tell you about a really new partnership uh, that we have developed with an amazing company called Canopy. Now, I don't know about you, but as a parent, I find it increasingly difficult to monitor my children's internet consumption with all the devices and computers. And how do you balance safety on the internet in terms of objectionable content, pornography, and things that we don't want them to see with speed and use of the internet for things that they need, like their homework, getting a hold of them. My oldest one is driving and I want to be able to her to have a way to get a hold of me. How do you do that? Well, sometimes it feels like you have to prioritize either speed and accuracy and accessibility or safety. Well, my friends at Canopy have developed this really neat tool that they beta tested in Israel. And it's so good, they brought it over to the United States. And it uses this proprietary technology uh, using artificial intelligence to block objectionable images, but not always necessarily websites. And so how this works is that even on your their phones, if someone texts them something objectionable or they're going to a website that they need to go to, but there's objectionable images, it doesn't block the website, but it'll block the, the images from coming through. And it works uh, in multiple apps that are on their phone in ways that a lot of other filters don't. It's a great, great tool. And if you are a Way Home listener, you can go to canopy.us slash wayhome. That's canopy.us slash wayhome, C-A-N-O-P-Y dot U-S slash wayhome, and you can get a special discount. Your first 30 days free and 20% off of Canopy for life. So you want to do that. Go to canopy.us slash wayhome and check this out. It's a great tool that I know you will use and, and be thankful for as a parent.
you have a chapter on meekness, and I, I just love that you do that because whenever I read the pastoral epistles talking about kind of the qualities of leadership for uh, church leaders, and Paul talks about a lot of the things we would think about, you know, in terms of um, the moral questions, but a lot of temperament questions, a lot of qu- uh, questions about the kind of leaders. And meekness today doesn't seem to be very popular. Um, if you if you are kind and civil to people that you profoundly disagree with, it's kind of seen, seen as weakness. Talk about the importance of bringing back this virtue. Yeah, and I, I, you're right. People go, well, you can't be meek in today's world because no one else is and the stakes are too high. But I think I'd start with, well, how's the other approach working out? How, how's that solving <laughs> problems? You know, and even to the most hardened political warrior, I'd say, are, you know, are we are we solving our problems or, or is anything getting done? And most people go, no. So I think that the key thing with meekness is to remember meekness is not weakness. Okay. Think of, I always, the, I always think of like an Abraham Lincoln who people thought was, he was too meek and mild mannered and mm. didn't yell at the other side, but he was willing to have the strength of his conviction to the tune of 600,000 people that died in the Civil War mm. um, to end to, to end the scourge of slavery and to make certain that the country stayed together. I mean, that's was he meek? You bet. But was he weak? Nah. I think of a lot of other you know leaders in hard situations and Nelson Mandela. I could keep I could keep going with that. Mm. Here's I think here's the other point I'd say on this is you know it's. It's Jesus that said, blessed are the meek. Okay, that, we, I didn't make that. We didn't make up that line. And so if Jesus says that's how we're supposed to act, we don't get a waiver because the situation seems too difficult. You know, and like, oh, this political battles, you know, you can't, you can't bring a Sunday school attitude to, to politics. You'll get smeared and, and the, the, the results matter too much. But we don't, I don't say that to other things. I don't say, hey, in your business, you need to you need to act the way that Jesus acts asks you to act, unless you're getting ready to go out of business. In which case, you can do whatever you need to, mm. or or in your marriage, like you need to be faithful, unless you know the person in the next office is really hot. And in that case, you know you get a waiver. But we're, we're giving ourselves a pass on how we act in the public square, thinking somehow that our way is going to work out better. But we should know by now our way does not work out better. There's there's never been a person I know that has obeyed Christ at the end of his life or her life has said, you know, that that was a mistake. I probably shouldn't have tried to walk so faithfully. It, it, it's just not, it's just that never happened. Instead, you have a lot of people go, I tried to wrestle it to the ground my way, and it sort of worked out and sort of didn't. Mm. That, that's such a, a good approach. Um, I, I want to ask you a little bit about, it just seems today there's probably m- more distrust of our key institutions than in recent memory. Uh, you think of government, you think of media, you think of the church, you think of even sports and a kind of a growing divide between, you know, people who are leading in these institutions or have key positions and maybe kind of the, the ordinary people, the working class. If you're a leader kind of navigating this divide, how do you encourage leaders to both lead well but also stay uh, in touch with kind of the the grassroots of uh, people that uh, have such distrust of our key institutions. Yeah, I think a couple of things, uh, and that you're exactly right. I mean, it's one of the big issues plaguing our country today is this growing distrust in institutions, some of which we've earned, right? Mm-hmm. We, we've earned, I mean, the church has earned some of the growing, I mean, we've seen scandal after scandal of church leaders that people go, well, okay, they're just like everybody else. 
but I think some of that, I think the other thing I think you have to remember is that leading's hard. And if as a leader, you need to remember that as a leader and then as someone, someone who's being led. Um, when I was in, in office every year, the president of the United States, regardless of party, has all the governors and the, the whole cabinet, the vice president, to a fancy black tie dinner at the White House. And it, it's, it's, a fun, it's a fun and cool occasion, okay, because whoever's at your table, it's somebody interesting and a big deal. You know, they're, they're in the cabinet or the vice president or the president or they're a governor and, or spouse. And one, one year, I was, it was President Obama's last year, and I was sitting next to someone who was, um, you know, strong, had been with him from the very beginning, strong Democrat. You know, we were having conversations, and I said, well, what do you know now? It was their last year. I said, what, what do you know now that you wish you'd known eight years ago when you started? He said, I wish I'd known how hard this is. He said, I wouldn't have been nearly as hard on, on George W. Bush. He said, don't get me wrong, I still disagree with him. I disagree with his approach to Iraq, and kind of went through a list. He said, but this stuff is hard, and the issues that get here are complex. And so the lesson for us as people in society is this. We should realize that because issues are so complex and so hard, we should focus on electing people who are really trying to solve those problems. I'll, I'll give you a really good case in point. What, what is the United States policy today on immigration? What's our official policy on immigration? I mean, it's kind of muddled, right? Yeah, we don't have one. Yeah, great. I mean, your pause said everything. We don't have one. And why don't we have one? We don't have one for two reasons. First, both sides raise money off of it. You know, the Democrats mm-hmm. raise, they, they run ads showing you know, Republicans want to put children in cages. And then Republicans run ads about Democrats saying Democrats uh, don't care about our border and they're willing to let anybody in who wants to who wants to cross. You know, and they'll show a lot of folks entering the country illegally. So both sides, quite frankly, it's in their financial interest not to solve the problem because they raise money off of it. But there's a second reason, and that is it's really hard. Right? I mean, if you're like me, and I think like most Americans, we want to have a humane policy but that also restricts our, that, that respects our borders and says there is something to this border that we have of the country and we want to have a right way for people to enter in a wrong in a, in a way that we don't permit. That's really hard. I mean, to come up with a humane system that treats people as created in the image of God and yet respects our borders, that's really hard. And so the second reason we don't have it is to, to get there is a complex situation. So what I... My point in, in bringing all that up is this. We should respect leaders, elect leaders, um, and follow leaders who actually are committed to solving problems because that's that's what we're here to do, not to make a point about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the title of your book is Faithful Presence, and I want to encourage everyone listening to, to get that. We'll have links in the show notes. It's a really good book about um, – what is a Christian's responsibility in the world? What's the church's responsibility in the world? Uh, explain what you mean by faithful presence. Yeah, I think it's this. is uh, I think we, we're all called to a faithful presence wherever we are. And so what I mean by that is we should have a theology about everything we do. So you should have that about your work. You should have that as a high school student. You should have that as, you know, as a is a spouse in a marriage. And we do that in most places. It's part of my point in the book is, you know, if you're a Christian business person and you want, there's a hundred seminars you can go to on faithfully walking with Christ in business. And the same thing in marriage or the same thing if, 
you know, you're mm-hmm. a college student, there's ministers, campus ministries galore, okay? That talk about, they're not talking, those campus ministries aren't talking about, here's how you make a 4.0 in, in college in your GPA. They're talking about, here's what it looks like to walk faithfully. We don't really have that in the public square. We have a lot of folks saying, here's how you win elections, or here's the issues we care about, these three issues we really care about. But there's nobody that's saying, here's what it looks like to walk in a way that reflects um, the God who saved us. And um, part of what I'm trying to do is let's let's develop a theology of that. Theology is just a big word to say, how do we how do we live out what God So I have two more questions. I'm so thankful, uh, Governor, for you joining me today uh, here on the podcast. Your your book is, uh, in one part, it's it's really a a helpful guide for people looking to to serve in the public square, and uh, I think you're a great example of that. But it's in in many ways, you're also talking to the church, you know, and saying here's how the church should live uh, in this really troubling age. Uh, If you had a message for pastors who are trying to lead congregations faithfully and trying to teach their people how to live on mission in the world, what would that be? It would be this. Everybody, people of faith, Christians, non-Christians, we're all frustrated and exhausted about what's happening in the political world today. It'd be hard to, we, we could all, we could both walk down the street and sample the first 20 people. How do you feel about this, you know, about where we are uh, in the public arena in the country today? And everybody would go, I hate it, okay? It'd be this. What if Christians became um, the the salt that saved the meat here, uh, the light that walked into the darkness and said, we really want to model what it looks like to act differently. And so I'd say to pastors, um, what if, unfortunately, in my experience as a mayor, Governor, let me back up, Christians acted just like everyone else in the public square, just as likely to be mean over the internet, just as likely to be less uh, concerned with finding a solution than with winning the argument, uh, just as likely to hide behind the anonymity of the internet to say things we'd never say in person. Uh, but what if believers actually acted different? Uh, could could we, instead of exacerbating the problem, actually address the problem? And I would encourage pastors to help your congregation not just know their position on key issues like abortion and marriage and other things, but to say, what should we act like in the public square? Uh, and I think if we did that, maybe we could be the, you know, the, the salt that stops the meat from going bad. I really like that. One more question. If you were speaking, and I know you probably do multiple times a week, to um, someone considering running for office or, or just f- filling um, government service in some way, uh, whether it's on a school board or even even if they're not going to run for office, but they're going to fill an appointed position in D.C. or in uh, their, their home state. Um, there's so much cynicism about working in politics. But in my experience, while there are bad actors, I find a lot of good people who really love their country trying to do the best they can. What would your advice be to someone who is considering kind of stepping into that kind of calling? First of all, I mean, they have to determine if they're called to do it, but I would be incredibly encouraging. It it, would be this. If all of us are called to serve and to find, figure out where we're called to serve, um, and all of us want to see fruit produced by that service, um, and it's hard to to, uh, overstate the 
difference you can make serving in public office. Uh, it's hard to, the leverage that you have in, uh, in a position to change things is so much different. I mean, listen, I'm, when I was governor, if I had an opinion on, well, here's what we need to do to, you know, make strides in education, I could actually do that. If I said, we, you know, let's see if we can put together a statewide program where anybody who wants to go to community college or technical school free can do that. We, we can do that. You know, when you're out of office, you're a little bit more limited in that influence. And so I would encourage folks to really think about it. The, the chance to make a difference is way bigger than I thought it was. When I when I ran for mayor and ran for governor, I underestimated how much impact you can make in office. Mm-hmm. That's really good. Well, Governor uh, Bill Haslam, the 49th governor of the state of Tennessee, former governor uh, and uh, former mayor of Knoxville, want to encourage folks to get this great book called uh, Faithful Presence uh, by Thomas Nelson. We'll have links to it in the show notes. Thank you for joining me. And I just really want to thank you too, as a resident of the state of Tennessee, uh, just for your leadership and uh, stewardship of this state. I'm really grateful for for it and for your example of uh, what it looks like to be a Christian in in public office. Well, thanks. I appreciate it. And thanks. I've I've enjoyed this conversation. I appreciate you, uh, you doing your homework beforehand and I haven't read the book and asked thoughtful questions. It, it made for a great conversation. I really enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Way Home Podcast with Daniel Darling. For more information, you can visit danieldarling.com. If you do like this podcast, we encourage you to subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast catcher. We also encourage you to rate and review so others can know about the podcast. You can follow me at at Dan Darling on Twitter or go to my Facebook page, facebook.com slash Daniel M. Darling. I also want to encourage you again to check out my latest book, Away With Words, and you can visit awaywithwordsbook.com. Thank you for listening again to The Way Home Podcast. This is a production of the National Religious Broadcasters. This podcast is part of the Edify Podcast Network. Edify is a faith-inspiring app that brings together thousands of the best Christian podcasts in one place for your listening enjoyment. Cut through the noise and grow your faith by diving into the world's top Christian podcasts today. Download the Edify app for free from the App Store or Google Play or by going to edify.app. That's E-D-I-F-I dot app.